we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Well, I want you to find Matthew 27, and we'll look in verse 24. Matthew 27 and verse 24. Uh, as we know, we are, next week is Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. In fact, every Lord's Day, we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's why we meet on the first day of the week. It's the resurrection day. That's when Jesus arose. And of course, uh, on this time of year, we remember that. This evening at 5 o'clock, we will come together for the Lord's Supper around the Lord's table. And uh, Paul wrote uh, concerning that in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 26, that when we come together for the Lord's Supper, we show the Lord's death until he come. God does not want us to forget the sacrifice of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are very prone to forget, however, uh, the sacrifice that was made for our sin. And it is a sober reminder for us to reflect back upon the death of our Savior. It gives us an opportunity as we come together this evening for the Lord's Supper uh, to reflect upon what he's done for us and also to ask the Spirit of God to examine our hearts and reveal to us any sin in our lives that we can make confession of that and come to the Lord's table with a pure heart. And I pray that we'll do that today. And I'm asking God to use this message to speak to our hearts in preparation for this evening, but also as we reflect upon the death of Christ throughout the week and then his glorious resurrection. Matthew 27 and verse 24, Jesus has been arrested. He was in the garden with his disciples. He was betrayed by Judas. He was arrested and taken first to the house of Annas and then to Caiaphas, the high priest. They examined him and tried to bring false testimony against him. And early in the morning, they took him to Pilate. And after a while, Pilate sent him to Herod, learning that he was from Galilee, Herod questioned him for a short time and frustrated that Christ would do no miracle in his presence. That's what Herod wanted to see. He wanted to see a miracle. He sent Jesus back to Pilate. And we pick up in verse 24, the people of Israel have cried out that the one that would be released would be Barabbas and not Jesus. And they are crying out for the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. So we come to verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, that scourging was a whip, a whip with strands of cords and interwoven in that was glass and metal. Uh, 
bone fragments designed to cut and inflict torture upon the recipient of the scourge. 39 times our Savior was smitten with this scourge. And when he had been scourged, or when Jesus, or when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to the place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders, elders and said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land under the ninth hour, and about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, he, or said Let be. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were open, and many of the saints, or many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the grave after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done. They feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. The Bible tells us that Jesus, when he had received the drink of the, the vinegar on the sponge, he cried out and he gave up the ghost. He died. 
as we've read just a few verses this morning that recount for us the awful suffering and the dreadful end it would have seemed to many of what was such a promising beginning. The Lord Jesus, the deliverer, the one who healed the sick and raised the dead, died on the cross. And the question we ask ourselves this morning is why did he die? Why did he die? And with God's help today, I want to give you five reasons that Christ died on the cross. Let's pray together. Father, in these moments, we pray that you would help us to hear your voice. We pray that the Spirit of God would be our teacher, that you would remove from our minds all distractions and help us to see Jesus high and lifted up. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Why did Jesus die? Was he just simply the victim of the Roman government or the scheming, hypocritical religious leaders of the Jews? No. Jesus came to die. He came with that purpose, and he fulfilled his purpose. And as we note in these, uh, in, in these days in which we live, when death is all around us, that there is one who died for us. The song says, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed. I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Thanks be unto God. So as we draw near to this Resurrection Sunday and as we prepare to come together tonight for the Lord's Supper, we note these five reasons that Christ died. I hope you'll write them down. First of all, I want you to see that Christ died in submission to the Father. Christ died in submission to the Father. Go with me just a few pages back or maybe a page back in your Bible to Matthew 26 and verse 36. Matthew 26 and verse 36. Jesus and his disciples, after they observed the Passover, after the Christ established the Lord's Supper, he came with his disciples in verse 36 of Matthew 26. The Bible said, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep. 
and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, note this please in verse 42, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. What do we find in these verses? We find that Christ went to the cross. He went to the cross to die, and he died in complete and total submission to the will of his Father. Jesus was not in the hands of the Roman government. He was not in the hands of, of the hypocritical Pharisees. Jesus submitted himself willingly to his father. His death was voluntary, and it was in obedience to God. Look in John chapter 10, if you would. John chapter 10. We'll note just a few verses there in John chapter 10 and verse number 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. In verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down, verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, they didn't kill him. He laid down his life. The song says he could have called 10,000 angels. Those angels were ready. In fact, Christ told Pilate that during his trial. He, he could have called uh, for 10,000 angels, a host to deliver him. He could have done that, but had he done that, he would not have submitted to the will of the Father. You see, his purpose in coming was to die on the cross for our sins. Notice in verse 17 of John chapter 10, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This is the commandment or this commandment have I received of my father. Jesus said, no one is going to take my life. I've come to give it freely for my sheep. In John chapter 8, in verse 28, Jesus spoke and said this, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, that's speaking of his death, when ye have lifted him up, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things, and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. John 8, 29. You see, Jesus came in complete and total submission to the will of the Father, and his mission was to live a life of sinlessness and obedience to the Father. That is the way God designed men to live in complete submission to him. And in that submission, we find liberty and joy. But the message of this world, the message of this world is to live your life the way you please to live it. But the message of Christ is to submit to me. And in that submission, we will find the greatest liberty and the greatest joy. And by the way, all of the people in this world who are telling us every day, Live your dream. Live life as you wish to live it. 
are unfulfilled, unhappy, miserable people. Jesus Christ came and lived as God intended for man to live in submission to the will of the Father. And Jesus said, I do always those things that please him. Let me ask you a question this morning. As we consider the death of Christ and the life of Christ, both fulfilled in complete submission to the will of the Father, have you submitted to him? Have you submitted to him? And are you living in submission to him? Christ died, number one, in submission to the Father. Secondly, I want you to note that Christ died as the substitute for the sinner. Christ died as the substitute for the sinner. I'd like for you to go with me to Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53. And we'll begin reading in verse number five. The word of God says that he, speaking of Christ, this is a prophecy concerning him, but he was wounded for our transgressions. To transgress is to cross the line. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. You know, the Bible teaches that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's one thing that all of us have in common. We were all born with a dreadful condition called sin. And we were all born under the sentence of death. And so we identify with Isaiah 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But notice this in Isaiah 53 and verse 6. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're guilty before God. But the Bible says that God the Father laid on Jesus Christ my iniquity. Therefore, if I believe, if I receive the Lord Jesus as my Savior, all the guilt and all the condemnation of my sin has been transferred to the Lord Jesus Christ. So when he prayed in the garden, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. We don't need to mistake that as Christ trying to shirk the suffering of the cross to, to somehow escape it. What Christ was speaking of in particular in that cup, of course, included the suffering, but the main, the main burden of that cup is that he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that our iniquity, our sin, every evil deed that has ever been perpetrated by any person throughout the history of this world, the Bible said that was laid on Jesus Christ. What a burden he bore on the cross of Calvary as he died for your sin and mine. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 tells us, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us. While we were at the zenith of our rebellion against God, our hatred, our enmity of him, while we would not have him rule over us, while we decided to rule and reign over our own lives and to remove him as king, in that moment, Jesus Christ loved me and he died for me. He died in my place. As we learned a moment ago, all of sin comes short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. That's the just deserts of our sinful life. Our rebellion against God is death. Jesus Christ, the living one, came to become a man so that he might live and die in our place. He is the substitute for the sinner. As he said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Well, that brings us to a third point, and that is this, that Christ died as the sacrifice for sin. He died in my place, but when he died, he made the payment for my sin. In John chapter 19 and verse 28, in John's record of the death of Christ, he says this, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Three words there that we note in verse number 30, it is finished. This is an accounting term. It means paid in full. Jesus Christ said, I have finished the task. I finished the task that I've been given to do. I have made the payment for the sin of humanity. You see, it was only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through the shedding of his blood, through his death on the cross, that the just demands of a holy God, the wrath of God poured out on our sin was only satisfied and could only be satisfied by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 and verse 10, the word of God said, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Jesus is the offering. He's the only offering that could satisfy God. Verse 11 of Isaiah 53, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Verse number 12, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many. And when he hung upon the cross and in his last breath, he said it is finished. The sacrifice was made once and for all. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 9 and verse 26, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Peter wrote it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, that we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish 
and without spot. He made the sacrifice for my sin. Well, that leads me fourthly to this thought, and that is this. Christ died for the salvation of the sinner. Christ died for the salvation of the sinner. I'd like for you to look with me, if you would, please, to the gospel according to John. Would you turn there with me? John chapter number 3 and verse number 14. John chapter number 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 14. The Lord Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus who was a religious leader, one of the Pharisees. And he came to Jesus by night because he didn't want anybody to discover that he had any interest or that he was possibly following Jesus. Of course, we know that Nicodemus was there to help Joseph of Arimathea bury the body of Christ. So we know that Nicodemus became a follower of the Lord. But in verse 14, as the Lord is speaking to Nicodemus, explaining to him salvation, He says in verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. What is he speaking of here? He's speaking of his death on the cross. Verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Now, when I was a student at the University of Tennessee, I stumbled upon a group of people, and I heard a man speaking below on the street. I was walking down a stairwell from one level down to the street level, and a group of, of college students had encircled a man, and he was speaking. I found out as I drew a little closer, he was preaching. And uh, I, I stood there and, and watched a little bit of that as I was on my way to class. One of the, one of the students in that group, he, he yelled out, he says, I don't want anything to do with your turn or burn religion. He had reduced God to some ogre in the sky that has come down to humanity and said, look, either check yes and go to heaven or no and go to hell. That was his vision of God. And in fact, that is the vision of God that many people have today. That God's just some cosmic ogre in the sky who wants everybody to bow to him, do everything his way, or he's going to kick you off into hell. Friends, I want you to know that is not the right and proper view of God. Let me tell you who God is. He is the creator of the universe. He is the one who gave you life. He created man and formed him from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and made him a living soul. He provided a place for man to live, a place, a garden, a beautiful place. But man rebelled against God and sinned against him. And God said to Adam, in the day that you do this, know this, you will surely die. 
And nevertheless, Adam and Eve sinned against God. And in that day, though they didn't die immediately in their body, they did die immediately in their soul. The Spirit of God departed. And though they had physical life, they had no spiritual life. That was the curse of sin. They were under the sentence of death in their rebellion against God. And let me just say this to all of you, that all of us who are of the seed of Adam are the recipients of that condition called sin. David said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. As I quoted a minute ago, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I Listen, you can take that precious, beautiful little baby, as innocent as it is, and as it grows up and just gets just within a, maybe a few months, most possibly a year or so along the path, you're going to find that that little child knows how to manipulate you. That little child knows how to lie to you. You don't have to teach it to do that. It knows how to do that. And the reason it knows how to do that is because it's a sinner. That precious little child is a sinner, condemned, a rebel against God. And I want you to know that Jesus did not come to condemn us because we were already condemned. Jesus came to save us from our condemnation and our guilt. Imagine you go to the doctor, and the doctor comes into the office. He's done all the blood work, and he says, I have some bad news. You have a certain condition, and he diagnoses you with that condition. Then he prescribes to you a treatment for that condition that will bring healing to you. Can you imagine how preposterous it would be for you to get up, walk out of the doctor's office, and say, listen, I don't want anything to do with you. If I don't take your medicine, what you're, you're coming to tell me is that I'm not going to live. And, 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 and you see, that's the way many people respond to God, is it not? Here he, has, here, here, here he is, the maker of the universe, coming to men who are in rebellion against him. Though we were yet sinners, he died for us. He voluntarily, freely laid down his life for us because we were condemned. And if we will simply believe on him for whosoever believeth on him should not perish. If I would turn from my sin, which is bringing about my condemnation and my ultimate death, if I would turn from my sin and to Jesus, I would be delivered from death, I would be delivered from condemnation, and I would receive eternal life. And that life that I never had at birth, that spiritual life that was missing all along, could be given to me. I remember the day it was given to me as a seven-year-old boy when I heard the message of the gospel in the vacation Bible school assembly that I was a part of that day. And I, I knew I was brought to an awareness because the Spirit of God spoke to me. I was brought to an awareness of the fact that I was a sinner. I was brought to an awareness that as a sinner, my destiny was hell. I was brought to the awareness and the knowledge that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that he died for me and that he rose again and he offered salvation to me if I would confess and repent of my sin and turn to him. And as a seven-year-old boy, in simple faith, 
I trusted Jesus as my Savior, and I want you to know what happened that day. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead came to dwell within me, and though I had no spiritual life at that moment, I was born again into the family of God, all because of the death of Christ on the cross. He died for the salvation of the sinner. He died for you. And you can receive him if you have it. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 1. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came to the world. Not to turn them or burn them. But to save sinners. And Paul said of whom I am chief. And so we see this morning that Christ died. He died in submission to the Father. No man took his life. He laid it down freely. He died as the substitute for the sinner. He died in my place. He experienced my suffering and my death and my hell on the cross of Calvary. Through the sacrifice of his blood, he made the payment for my sin. He died for the salvation of the sinner. And we conclude this morning with this thought, Christ died for the sanctification of the saint. There are people in this room who do not know Jesus, perhaps. You need to be saved. In just a moment, we'll sing a hymn of invitation, and I'll encourage you, if God is speaking to your heart today, the Spirit of God has revealed to you that you're a sinner, that Jesus loves you, and that he died for you and you recognize your need of salvation, today you can receive the gift of salvation, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There are many in this room who have received that gift but are not living in light of the death of Christ, not living in light of the knowledge of his sacrifice. We're thankful for it because we've received eternal life, the forgiveness of our sin. Our home is in heaven, and we're happy about that. But we have not learned to identify with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. We would call ourselves believers, but truly are we following him? Well, if we're not taking up the cross, which speaks of death, Daily, he said, then we can know that we're not following him as we should. So that brings me to the fifth thing Christ died for the sanctification of the saint. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 25, speaking of the Lord Jesus, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. Think of that. While he hang on the cross, what did he carry? We think of the physical suffering the emotional suffering, but think of the spiritual suffering he encountered. He bore our sins, the shame and guilt of our sins on the tree. That we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. When we receive Christ as Savior, we identify with him in his death. You see, not only did he come to deliver us from the penalty of sin, but he came to deliver us 
from the power of sin. And we know from Romans chapter 7 that the power of sin is a really strong force because Paul said, I want to do right, but I can't do it. And I don't want to do wrong, but I keep doing it. And we all raise our hands and say, thank you for writing that. But Jesus died not to give us a free pass to continue in our sin. He died so that we might receive spiritual life, resurrection life, and that through that life we might overcome and that we might be sanctified and live a life that is pleasing to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How does God intend for me to live my life? I want to tell you, he wants me to live a righteous life. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. I'm not supposed to live after the pattern of this world. I am supposed to live a life that reflects the glorious power of the resurrected Savior, the life of God imparted to a dead sinner. That is the way I'm to live my life. So the question came in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? We're the recipients of grace. So since we have grace and salvation is by grace, can we just go on in our sin? God forbid, he says, verse 2. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? I identified in his death. I want you to know that as a seven-year-old boy, that day when I received Christ as my Savior, I died. Paul said, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life I live, the life I live now, he says, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So we identify with Christ in death, and sin no longer has dominion over us unless we allow it to. Then he says in verse 3 of Romans 6, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized uh, into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Verse 4, here's the ramifications of that. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also uh, should walk in the newness of life. That means I'll live different. And I can't do it, but Christ in me, his power in me, sanctifies me, separates me from the world, gives me victory over sin, and allows me to live the resurrected life. What does that look like? Well, Paul just gave the Corinthians one example in 1 Corinthians 6, and it was a particular area they were dealing with, the area of fornication, sexual sin. We live in a, a pornographic culture, don't we? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And there are no restrictions on age, it's where we live. It was much like the Corinthian culture. And Paul wrote, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Verse 19. What? 
know ye not that your body, it's my body, I can do what I want to. Isn't that the message of the world? It's my life, I can do what I want to. I just want to be happy. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? No, it's not your body. It's his. He dwells within you which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I want you to know, Christ didn't just simply die to save you. He died to sanctify you. So let me ask you a question. Has the lamb slain received the reward worthy of his suffering in your life. How have you responded to the death of Jesus? Have you responded in faith, believing? Maybe you're here this morning and you never have. In just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And in that moment, I'm going to ask you if you want to receive the Lord Jesus to confess your sin to him, to acknowledge him for who he is, the Son of God, that he died for you, that he rose again the third day and to ask him to save you. That's what happened to me that day as a seven-year-old boy. And I certainly haven't pleased him every day. In fact, many days I don't. But he saved me that day and he changed my life and he gave me a home in heaven. And if you don't have that assurance today, you can leave with it if you'll respond to his death for you. He died so that you might have life. He rose again to give you power to live it. Christian friend, you're here this morning, and you, you're saved, and you know that, but to be honest, you know that you're not living as a sanctified saint. And God is speaking to you about your attitude towards sin and the things that you've allowed in your life. And as we reflect upon his death, may the Holy Spirit of God help us to come clean today and come to him. And I have good news for you. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So let's get clean and let's draw near to the Lord today. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you will find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.